This is Space Time Series 26, Episode 116, for broadcast on the 27th of September 2023. Coming up on Space Time, a new study warns that black holes are actually eating faster than previously expected. NASA's Ingenuity helicopter sets a new altitude record on Mars. And Rocket Lab's Electron suffers a catastrophic failure during launch. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. A new study is changing the way astrophysicists understand the eating habits of supermassive black holes. While previous researchers have hypothesized that black holes eat slowly, new computer simulations are suggesting that black holes actually scarf down food faster than conventional understanding suggests. The new study reported in the Astrophysical Journal is based on high-resolution three-dimensional computer simulations, which is showing that spinning black holes twist up the surrounding space-time, process called frame-dragging. In the process, this is ripping apart the violent whirlpool of gas, the accretion disk, that encircles and feeds the black hole. Now, this process is resulting in the accretion disk being literally torn into two separate disks, inner and outer. The black holes then devour the inner disk. Afterwards, debris from the outer disk spills inwards to refill the gap left behind by the now wholly consumed inner ring, and the eating process repeats. One cycle of this endlessly repeating eat-refill-eat process can take just a few months, and that's a shockingly fast timescale compared to the hundreds of years researchers had previously proposed. The new findings could all explain the dramatic behaviour of some of the brightest objects in the universe, quasars, which can abruptly flare up and then vanish without explanation. The study's lead author, Nick Kaz from Northwestern University, says classical accretion disk theory predicts that the disk evolves slowly, but some quasars, which result from black holes eating gas on their accretion disks, appear to drastically change over timescales of just a few months. Classical accretion disk theory simply can't explain this drastic variation, but the phenomena seen in the simulations could explain this. That's because the quick brightening and dimming are consistent with the inner regions of the disk being destroyed. Accretion disks surrounding black holes are physically complicated objects, making them incredibly difficult to model. Conventional theory has struggled to explain why these disks shine so brightly and then abruptly dim, sometimes to the point of disappearing completely. Previous researchers have mistakenly assumed that accretion disks are relatively orderly. In these models, the gas and particles swirl around the black hole in the same plane as the black hole itself and in the same direction as the black hole's spin. Then, over timescales of hundreds to hundreds of thousands of years, gas particles gradually spill into the black hole to feed it. Kaz says that for decades, people made the very big assumption that accretion disks were aligned to the black hole's rotation. But he says the gas that feeds these black holes doesn't necessarily know which way the black hole's spinning. So why would they automatically be aligned? And changing this alignment drastically changes the entire picture. 
the new computer simulation, which is one of the highest resolution simulations of accretion disks ever carried out, indicates that the regions surrounding the black hole are much messier and more turbulent than previously thought. Using Summit, one of the world's largest supercomputers located at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, the authors carried out a three-dimensional general relativistic magnetohydrodynamic simulation of a thin tilted accretion disk. While previous simulations weren't powerful enough to include all the necessary physics needed to construct a realistic black hole, this new model included gas dynamics, magnetic fields and general relativity in order to assemble a more complete picture. Kaz says black holes are extreme general relativistic objects that affect the space-time around them, and so when they rotate, they physically drag space-time with them. And this creates a really strong effect close to the black hole that becomes increasingly weaker with distance from the event horizon, the point of no return beyond which matter falls forever into the black hole's singularity. Frame dragging makes the entire creation disk wobble in circles, similar to how a gyroscope processes. But the thing is the inner disk wants to wobble much more rapidly than the outer disk. This mismatch of focus causes the entire disk to warp, causing gas from different parts of the disk to collide. The collisions create bright shocks that violently drive material closer and closer to the black hole. As the warping becomes more severe, the innermost region of the accretion disk continues to wobble faster and faster until eventually it breaks apart from the rest of the disk. Now, according to the new simulations, both these subdisks then start evolving independently of each other. Instead of smoothly moving together like a flat plate surrounding a black hole, the subdisks independently wobble at different speeds and angles, sort of like the wheels of a gyroscope. And when the inner disk finally tears off, it precesses independently. Kaz says it precesses faster because it's closer to the black hole and because it's smaller, so it's easier to move. Now, according to the new simulations, the tearing region, where the inner and outer subdisks disconnect, is where the feeding frenzy truly begins. While friction tries to keep the two disk segments together, the twisting of space-time by the spinning black hole wants to rip it apart. So there's competition between the rotation of the black hole and the friction and pressure inside the disk. It's the tearing region where the black hole wins. The inner and outer disks collide into each other, and the outer disk shaves off layers of the inner disk, in the process pushing it further inwards. Now the two subdisks intersect at different angles. The outer disk pours material on top of the inner disk, and this extra mass pushes the inner disk towards the black hole, where it's eventually devoured. Then, the black hole's own gravity pulls gas from the outer disk towards the now empty inner region in order to refill it. Kaz says these fast cycles of 8 refill 8 potentially explain so-called changing look quasars. Quasars are the brightest objects in the universe, so extremely luminous they can be seen more than 13 billion light years away, literally from the other side of the universe. They're actually made up of extremely luminous jets of energy and matter generated by feeding black holes and then beamed out at close to the speed of light. They're so powerful, they can emit thousands of times more energy than the entire Milky Way's 400 billion stars. And changing look quasars are even more extreme. They appear to turn on and off over duration periods of just a few months. 
Now, that's a tiny amount of time for a typical quasar. Kaz says the inner region of an accretion disk, which is where most of the brightness comes from, can totally disappear. The system simply stops being bright, and then all of a sudden it brightens up again. And the process repeats, and that can be done over just a space of a few months. Conventional physics doesn't have any way to explain this. They can't explain why it disappears so quickly in the first place, and they certainly can't explain how it refills so quickly. So, not only do these new computer simulations potentially explain quasars, they could also answer ongoing questions about the mysterious nature of black holes. How gas actually gets into the black hole to feed it is the central question in accretion disk physics. If you know how that happens, it'll tell you how long the disk lasts, how bright it is, and what the light should look like when we observe it using telescopes. This is space-time. Still to come. NASA's Ingenuity helicopter sets a new altitude flight record. And Rocket Lab's Electron explodes during launch. All that and more coming up on Space Time. NASA's Mars Ingenuity helicopter has set a new flight altitude record, reaching some 20 metres above the red planet's ancient desert landscape. Now that's two metres above its previous record. The tiny tissue box-sized twin rotor chopper was on its 59th flight. The 142.59 second sortie was simply designed to hover with no horizontal travel. It's described by NASA as a pop-up flight. The 1.8-kilogram rotorcraft arrived on the Red Planet back in February 2021, attached to the underbelly of the car-sized six-wheeled Mars Perseverance rover. Ingenuity was built using simple off-the-shelf components, and it was originally only intended to undertake five proof-of-concept test flights on Mars in order to determine whether or not an aircraft really could successfully fly on the Red Planet. Remember, Mars hasn't got Earth's thick atmosphere. Density on Mars is just 1 99th that of Earth. Now, with its 59th flight successfully completed, the chopper has proven itself to be a valuable companion for perseverance, scarting the trail ahead of the rover in order to find interesting geology and warn of hazardous terrain. Over the course of its 59 flights, Ingenuity has now travelled some 13,304 metres and it stayed aloft for 106 minutes 30 seconds. Its single flight distance and duration records are 704 metres set in April 2022 and 169.5 seconds achieved in August 2021. The primary goal of the Perseverance mission is the search for evidence of past microbial life on Mars. The landing site was the floor of the 45-kilometre-wide Jezero Crater, which billions of years ago harboured a large lake back in the day when Mars was a warm, wet world, before it transformed into the inhospitable, freeze-dried desert it's become today. Next to the Perseverance landing site is an ancient, expansive river delta fan of sediments. They contain material washed down from further upstream and which would be a likely place for life to thrive had it ever existed on the Red Planet. As its mission proceeds, Perseverance is collecting samples that will eventually be sent back to Earth for more detailed scientific examination. 
Meanwhile, as Ingenuity continues on its extended mission of aerial exploration, mission managers back on Earth are looking at the next generation of aircraft to fly on Mars. This report from NASA TV. Two years ago, Ingenuity proved that we could do the impossible. We can fly on Mars. Let's talk about what's next. Here at the Surface Robotics Lab, testing is being done on future Mars helicopters. Teddy Sanatos is here with us today to talk about the helicopter that started it all, Ingenuity. Teddy, what's the latest? Ingenuity is doing great. Our baby's still flying on the surface of Mars. Our rotor system, our little cell phone processor on board, our off-the-shelf lithium-ion batteries are all doing fantastic. One area that we're looking very closely at is our solar panel. You can imagine after two years of flying on the surface of Mars, you'll get some dust on top. But we still have ample margin and ample energy to keep up our flight operations and the extended mission of continuing to scout and push the flight envelope of what's possible. The testing being done in this room is part of the next helicopter mission to Mars called the Sample Recovery Helicopters. The goal is to be a backup to get these samples back to Earth. Put simply, Perseverance collects the sample tubes. The sample return lander will retrieve those samples directly from Perseverance. And then there's a rocket inside of that lander that's actually going to send those samples back to Earth. As a backup to getting those sample tubes from Mars back to the lander, we're designing the next generation of helicopters to not only be able to pick up and carry a sample tube, but also drive around on the surface. Are there any other ways Ingenuity is influencing future Mars exploration? We're looking at a research concept called Mars Science Helicopter. It's a hexacopter, so six rotors in a ring around a central structure. It's about the size of the rover, and you can imagine in the future you will have fleets of these Mars Science Helicopters flying around, bringing important payloads to areas of Mars that we've never been able to access before. What's next for Ingenuity? So we're trying to fly faster, trying to fly higher. We've added new flight software capabilities. We can now detect landing sites airborne. Those sorts of winds are coming from the surface of Mars directly into the design of the new sample recovery helicopters. And she's done a fantastic job. Surpassed any sort of metric of success that anyone on the team could have ever imagined for this little tiny four pound spacecraft. This space time still to come. Rocket Lab's Electron explodes during launch. And later in the science report, scientists begin phase one trials of a new HIV vaccine. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Rocket Lab have grounded all Electron missions following the failure of its latest launch from New Zealand. The We Will Never Desert You mission from Launch Complex 1 on the North Island's Mahia Peninsula was to add a second Acadia Earth Imaging Synthetic Aperture Radar satellite to Capella Space's current constellation. The spacecraft was to be placed into a 635-kilometre-high orbit. The launch had already been placed on hold at T-minus 8 minutes due to an anomaly. It was then resumed some 125 minutes later, with the countdown clock reset to T-minus 14 minutes and 35 seconds. The countdown and launch proceeded smoothly with a spectacular nighttime liftoff. Clock load is complete. The system is in recirculation. Anti-gasoline is disabled. Stage 1 and Stage 2 tanks are pressed. High flow engine purge enabled. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3... Two, one, lift off. 
T plus 30 seconds and our 41st Electron has lifted off from the pad at Rocket Lab's Launch Complex 1, Electron powering its way to orbit for Capella. Very soon we will approach max Q or maximum aerodynamic pressure, the moment that the rocket experiences the most stress as it climbs. Electron is supersonic, approaching max Q. High voltage battery discharges nominal. Cleared max Q. An electron has cleared max Q. The rocket is performing nominally so far, now up to 16 kilometers in altitude as it reaches speeds of more than 2,300 kilometers an hour. Next up are three events in Electron's Ascent that will happen in quick succession. First up, we have Miko, the moment when all nine Rutherford engines on the first stage throttle down and then shut off completely. Guidance Very quickly after moment. that, we'll have the separation of the first and second stages, followed by the ignition of the single Rutherford engine on Electron's second stage as the mission continues to orbit. Stage one propulsion holding nominal. Stand by for Miko. 15 seconds to staging. Entered burnout detect mode. Miko confirmed. Stage separation successful. However, just after first stage separation at 2 minutes 38 seconds after liftoff, telemetry data suddenly showed the velocity of the electron upper stage decreasing rapidly as its single Rutherford vacuum engine was supposed to ignite. And all stations, just uh, we have experienced an anomaly. Um, please remain on station and we will investigate and action the anomaly plan. The failure has broken a string of 19 consecutive successful launches. The last failure was way back in May 2021. The mission was Rocket Lab's 41st electron launch and its ninth flight this year. A full investigation to determine exactly what happened is now underway. This is Space Time. Time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. Scientists have begun phase one trials of a new preventative HIV vaccine candidate in the United States and South Africa. The research, which is supported by the National Institutes of Health, will evaluate a novel vaccine known as VIR-1388. They'll be looking at its safety and its ability to induce an HIV-specific immune response. VIR-1388 is designed to instruct the body's immune system to produce more T-cells that can recognize HIV and signal an immune response to prevent the virus from establishing chronic infection. VIR-1388 uses a cyclomegalovirus vector to deliver the vaccine material to the immune system without causing disease to study participants. A cytomegalovirus vector remains in the human body for life. That suggests that it has the potential to deliver and then safely help the body retain HIV vaccine material for a long period, potentially overcoming the waning immunity observed in more short-lived vaccine vectors. Initial results from the Phase 1 trials are expected in late 2024. The human immunodeficiency virus HIV is the infection that attaches to the body's immune system causing acquired immunodeficiency syndrome or AIDS. It's thought to have originated from infected primates in western central Africa and was first identified in humans in May 1981 when a large cohort of otherwise healthy young biological males suddenly began dying from a range of unusually rare diseases. 
HIV targets the body's white blood cells, things like helper T cells, specifically CD4 plus T cells. It also targets macrophages and dendritic cells, weakening and causing the progressive failure of the immune system, thereby allowing a wide range of opportunistic diseases such as tuberculosis and several types of cancers to become critical, eventually killing the patient. HIV is spread from patient to patient through body fluids. Early symptoms include fever, fatigue and headaches, skin rashes, swollen lymph nodes, aching muscles, joint pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, night sweats, a sore throat and a dry cough. Right now, the only known treatments for HIV involve powerful drug cocktails known as antiretroviral therapy or ART. The World Health Organization estimates that up to 52 million people have been killed by the AIDS virus and another 40 million are currently living with HIV. In the latest example of the ever-increasing power of artificial intelligence, a report in the Journal of the Annals of Emergency Medicine has found that ChatGPT can suggest the most likely diagnosis for emergency department patients every bit as well as a trained doctor, and it could one day support emergency doctors. The study involved the team entering details of 30 Dutch emergency department patients into both ChatGPT 3.4 and ChatGPT 4.0. Included were all their medical notes. The authors found that the emergency department doctors had the correct diagnosis within the top five most likely diagnoses in 87% of cases. By comparison, ChatGPT 3.5 had a 97% accuracy rate and version 4.0 had the same 87% accuracy rate as human doctors. Facebook has blocked the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology's Fact Lab fact-checking operation from policing content on its platform after Sky News Australia investigations uncovered a secret foreign-funded bid to influence an upcoming referendum. The investigation, dubbed the Fact Check Files, revealed that the university's fact-checking director was campaigning for one side in the upcoming Australian referendum and re-sharing slogans and images created by the side he supports. The investigation claims his team were responsible for several misleading fact-checks which led to a censorship of journalism related to the referendum. Meta says the allegations contained in the fact-check files led to its decision to suspend RMIT from its global fact-checking operation. RMIT could also be in breach of Section 2.2 of the International Fact-Checking Network's Code of Principles, which doesn't allow fact-checking operations to unduly focus on one side of political debates. You see, an audit of RMIT referendum fact-checks showed 17 referendum checks between May the 3rd and June the 23rd this year, all of which were targeting opinions or views opposed. And this case wasn't unique. Two years ago, the highly respected British medical journal Slam Meta over another Facebook fact-checker, Lead Stories. They alleged that its fact-checking was inaccurate, incompetent and irresponsible after Facebook refused to admit that its fact-checkers were wrong over an investigation into poor clinical trial research practices at a contract research facility helping carry out vaccine trials. Meanwhile, when they were forced to defend themselves from a lawsuit by an American journalist back in 2021, Facebook's senior management testified under oath that the fact checks used to police what people could read or watch are just opinion. And the judge agreed. 
U.S. District Court Judge Virginia DeMarchi found that Facebook couldn't have defamed the journalist because its fact-checking program reflects a subjective judgment about the accuracy and reliability of assertions made in the content of what's being checked. The judge said that simply because the process by which content is assessed and a label applied is called a fact-check does not mean that the assessment itself is an actionable statement of objective fact. In simple terms, fact-checking is just the opinion of the fact-checker. Nothing more. New figures suggest there could be over 58,000 broadband internet satellites orbiting the Earth by 2030. With the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Saharov-Royt from techadvice.life. Yeah, look, some experts are predicting that there'll be 58,000 satellites orbiting the Earth by 2030. That's nearly 725% more than this year. And Starlink is doing very well. Their speeds are going up in most countries and people are preferring it to fixed broadband services, but they're not the only ones. Amazon plans to have half of their 3,236 LEO satellites up by 2026, and they're going to spend $120 million on a huge facility to process satellites at NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And uh, these uh, first prototype satellites are going to launch in September. Now, China, they also want to provide internet connectivity to over 362 million of their people. That's nearly one in every four people in China because those people living in rural or remote communities. And of course, you know, satellite is a great savior there. You don't have to have cables running across the country. Very expensive to either put under the ground or to uh, put up on poles. And uh, they're looking to have their own satellite constellation with potentially over 12,000 satellites. So you can see, I mean, Elon Musk wants to have 30,000. China wants to have 12,000. Amazon wants to have nearly 3,500. So there's going to be a huge number of satellites orbiting the Earth, giving us effectively ubiquitous connectivity. And the phone companies, they also have to partner with these satellite providers, not just for 5G, but for future 6G as well. And already in Australia, for example, both Telstra and Optus, the two biggest carriers for mobile and NBN internet services, have done deals with SpaceX. So there's going to be a lot of activity in the sky, lots of launches. The French government have put a ban on iPhone 12s. What's the story? Well, the French are saying that the iPhone 12 is exceeding the EU limits of a specific measure known as the absorption rate, the specific absorption rate. That's the amount of radiation that the phone is sending out, and you know whether it's in your hand or if it's in your pocket. And obviously, if the SAR is too high, then certain authorities want to ban it. And France has done that, even though other countries are quite comfortable. Now, Apple has said that they're going to issue some sort of a software update to uh, keep the French happy. I mean, the iPhone 12 isn't really being sold in huge numbers, although Apple still does sell it. But it's interesting to note that you know, it was only the iPhone 12. They don't have any concerns with any of the other phones on the market. Logitech's come out with a new webcam. Okay, this is called the Logitech Reach, and they're actually launching it on Kickstarter, so it's going to be a crowdfunding project, but they're going to make it no matter what. And this is dubbed the most flexible show and tell camera. It's a two-in-one full HD webcam, and it's an overhead camera. And what you can do is you can Swivel it, move it around, grab it by the lens, point it to yourself, point it to a board game. It's like it's a camera on best. a boom, isn't it? That's right. It's like a boom mic, but instead of a microphone, it's a camera. And, of course, most of the Logitech cameras do actually have microphones in them. But it's really flexible and cool. And it's amazing that nobody ever thought of this before, even though we've had the idea of having boom mics for decades. 
there's no official prices yet. I did a survey. They were talking about a three ninety nine US price and a two ninety nine discounted price. If you uh, go to reachcamera.logi.com, I'll have the link on my website. Then you'll be able to sign up to be alerted when the price is officially announced, and you'll be able to you know, get an exclusive discount. But it's definitely something that a lot of influencers and, and content creators have gone. Ooh, that looks very cool. I'd love to get one of those. And what else is on the website? One of the stories concerns iPhone protective covers for the new iPhone 15. There's one from Zag. Not only does it have some sort of a graphene element inside the case, which they say makes it tougher than diamonds, but they have a new blue light screen protector, anti-blue light screen protector. They say blocks the most blue light of any of the screen protectors on the market. And you've got antibacterial options, which of course is now all the rage. And on the back of the case, you have that ring, which is the MagSafe ring that allows you to magnetically attach a charger or a camera mount or uh, rechargeable battery packs or even fans to keep the device cool when you're doing gaming. But this particular ring on the back of the case, you can actually take it out and it's got a little hinge in there, and then you can use it as a phone stand. So it's quite clever because normally that ring cannot be moved at all. But this is the first time I've seen somebody decide, oh, let's make the ring movable on a hinge, and then it's a built-in stand. So it's quite clever, and it's always good to see innovation because uh, normally the cases are just there to protect your phone and nothing else. But now we're seeing cases that do a lot more than just keep the phone clean. And I'll have all the details on that and plenty more at techadvice.life. Please come and have a look. That's Alex Sahara of Royd from techadvice.life. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 